Throughout this City Insight series, the common complaint we heard from mayors was one of finance. Cities need more money, reliable revenue, and the ability to spend it on their own priorities. Where they may disagree is where the money should come from. Brian Kelsey is an urban politics and policy consultant with experience as a senior advisor in both municipal and provincial governments. He breaks it down like this. Yes, it's absolutely true that that pretty much everywhere you go, uh, except maybe, you know, that the sort of... Uh, uh, pseudo state cities like, you know, Tokyo or Berlin, uh, cities are always looking for more money. Um, the challenge, I think, in a Canadian context that, um, I think mayors and councils face as a political group, as a lobby is that there, there is a, uh, unspoken but very real divide between those people who are talking about giving cities, uh, more taxing authority on the one hand to, to get that revenue. And those who are talking about getting more funding from uh, higher orders, higher levels of government, federal and provincial government, on the other. And right off the bat, I think part of the challenge is that somebody needs to win that debate because the, the implications of going in, in either direction are pretty significant. And if you're lobbying for both at the same time, but half the pool of mayors doesn't really like one and the other half doesn't really like the other. Provincial governments, uh, I know from having served in one, and federal governments uh, hear that and they certainly respond accordingly. And, and I, I think that the, the reality is most mayors and councils would sooner have the money given to them mm-hmm. by those higher orders of government. And, and the a federal or provincial official might say back, well... Why should we tax for you? Why can't you take that, you know, tax authority on for yourself? Or why aren't you using the tax authority you've already got to get the outcomes you're talking about? Few politicians want to be responsible for a new tax or fee, or an increase to either, even if it's needed to pay for the things most city dwellers agree are essential. Toronto, under the Provincial City of Toronto Act, has authority to raise money other cities don't. It relies heavily on a special municipal land transfer tax. But it's so far shied away from other revenue tools. Former Mayor Rob Ford, for instance, cancelled the vehicle registration tax a decade ago, and it was never reinstated. However legitimate and easy the push from the city side for more revenue and more revenue authority may be, the question keeps coming back. Well, every time we we give cities new revenue authority, you're, you're shy about using it, so why should we be carrying your water for you. I think there's ways around that problem, uh, but they're hard and they're political. And for that reason, you, you don't see nearly enough, I think, mayors or, or advocates for cities uh, looking at those approaches right now. On a rare occasion, Toronto attempted to implement road tolls to pay for its priorities. The previous provincial government actually stepped in to quash those plans. So, What does financial independence for cities look like, and how do we get there? I'm Glenn Bowerman, and this is City Insight, Canada's constitutional city crisis. In this series, we'll explore the sometimes fraught relationship our local governments have with their provincial and federal counterparts and explore ways of reimagining that relationship. 
Right. And uh, speaking to the political side of things, I think most municipalities would kind of bemoan that uh, when they do get money, it's often for capital expenditures uh, from the higher levels of government, uh, something that uh, an MP or an MPP can go to a, a ribbon-cutting event, uh, whereas they're they're really having trouble just uh, keeping the lights on. They they need operating money. Um, we could talk about transit systems all over the, the country. They need money for the day-to-day operations, and what they get is, you know, a new train. Well, we don't need a new train. We need money for, for the fuel for the train or that sort of thing. I'll take it even a step further than that, and that is that the kind of money that cities need really most on the order of things beyond even operating money is is maintenance capital, right? That it's not just that provincial and federal governments are always giving cities capital. It's they're always giving cities capital for particular projects and especially new projects, mm-hmm. even as the old infrastructure, you know, in some cases uh, rots away. And so one of my favorite positive examples about a file we managed well, and in retrospect, knowing what's happened in other cities, I think we managed it well and had extraordinary luck at the same time. But city of Winnipeg and the province of Manitoba actually have a relatively positive relationship around maintenance funding for roads because you know roads are in terrible shape in Winnipeg. It's hard to maintain them because of local conditions. And so the province wanted to do something about this, but they didn't want to not get the credit for it, right? And so the province and the city had signed an agreement where the, the province would give regular transfers for capital of any kind to the city. And the deal was that the city could set its capital budget for whatever its priorities were, knowing that some of that would be road repair. And then the province would be allowed to designate whatever the dollar value of its grant for that particular was as their funded projects uh, on a cost-share basis from within the city budget. So the city was picking the priorities. The city was getting the money, but the province had the right to show up to $100 million worth of ribbon cuttings, even if they were maintenance ribbon cuttings, mm-hmm. uh, to share in the credit for their dollars. And that experience and the existence of that agreement really reinforces to me how much other mayors and councils miss the need to do that kind of handholding on the one hand, and on the other hand, how valuable just a little bit of handholding can be to ensure that there's that that shared political benefit if somebody else is is doing the taxing and the heavy lifting of, of, of borrowing for you. Provincial officials would say it's the least we can expect, and yet too few mayors even even account for that least in their in their discussions. So it sounds to me that what you're saying is when, when we're talking about financial autonomy for cities, it really comes down to good relationships, which for now, for now, I mean, it shouldn't, but for now it does. Right. I mean, the, the, the whole point of this broader discussion that, that Massey and this podcast is part of is how do you change that to make that more formalized? And, and I'm, I'm telling you two things is that right now it comes down to good relationships and managing them as relationships. It's not just about being friends. It's about horse, tra- horse trading your lines. But to change that, to, to actually change that so that you get a constitutional order that's better, you're going to have to think that way as well. And and even with a tighter constitutional order in place, which we've got to fight hard and, and think hard to get, you're still going to need to manage the politics of money flowing back and forth because that's what it is. It's politics. According to Maxime Pénaud-Jobin, mayor of Gatineau since 2013, who's chaired the Big City Mayor's Caucus of the Union of Quebec Municipalities, other levels of government are beginning to see cities as true partners, but progress is slow. 
Well, ma many things have changed. Uh, many things have changed in, in Quebec City. Uh, many, many things have changed at the federal government. I think more and more, if I summarize, I think more and more, I think other levels of government realize how important we are, uh, how important cities are. Like you can't fight against poverty with, without the cities. You can't uh, improve the environment without uh, cities. We've, I can go on and on. Like we need, we need to be partners. We are actually main partners of the governments in, in so many issues. And I think they didn't see it as much uh, when I started. But uh, but we've seen it uh, during uh, uh, fighting uh, catastrophes like like flooding or, or tornadoes, we, which we both had in Gatineau, or even the COVID, like the, 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 the cities are essential partners. And they, they see it more and more. They, they've got a lot of work to do <laughs> in understanding mm -hmm. the cities. But I think they've they've made some steps forward, right? Both in Quebec City and in Ottawa. Provincially, uh, you know, the province is responsible for healthcare. You, you mentioned COVID nineteen. You, you had said that uh, you know the reason that Gatineau had to go into a red zone uh, was because of a uh, you know a systemic underfunding at the provincial level of healthcare. But I assume uh, you don't want to get into a world where cities are funding healthcare. But you you need to arrive at some kind of better working partnership in that regard. Absolutely. There, there are different examples I could take, but when other governments program uh, meet reality, uh, that's at the city's level. Like if, if their programs uh, to, for homelessness do not work, I'm the first to know. It's my, my phone that rings. It's the same thing for immigration, for example. Like immigrations do not land in Canada or in Quebec. They land in a neighborhood. If, if there's an issue of living together, I'll be the first to know. So uh, that's where I think cities are should be partners in all major issues fa facing citizens, and that's where we have a we have a challenge um, with with the other governments. They tend to see us as as something not really important, or like it's just the mayor complaining. But but it's more than that. Very often, mayors are the first one to realize how things are bad on the ground. Yeah, um, I, I think w what you're talking about resonates. Uh, Don Iveson, the mayor of Edmonton, he, he compared being a Canadian mayor uh, to sort of sitting at the kids' table at a Thanksgiving or a Christmas dinner. Exactly, and and it's wrong because because we could could be extremely uh, helpful um, when they when they talk about uh, uh, improving the environment. Like we take care of transit, we manage the quality of water, we we manage the wastes. And we also plan our cities in a way that can be very good for the environment or, or hurt the environment. So, uh, so it's 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 actually, from my point of view, very hard to understand why they don't get it as much as they as they should, uh, because it's it's just so obvious that we are a key players in all those issues. Right. As well, in the past, you've chaired the Union of Quebec Municipalities. Um, so you, you must have uh, been able to take the pulse of uh, a lot of uh, cities and towns in Quebec and, and what they are hoping from the various levels of government, uh, as well as what they hope for uh, in terms of financial autonomy. Yeah, fiscality is a, is a huge issue for cities. I think it's amongst the, the, the biggest. There's a relationship with the other governments. There's a, the, the, uh, the, the issue of how we can work, but how we are funded is 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 fundamental. Property tax was invented like a, a 150 years ago mm -hmm. when cities 
were giving services to, to properties, to, to, to houses. So that's sewers, uh, streets, water, uh, waste management. That was basically it. Maybe a few libraries here and, here and there, but essentially we were given services to properties. Now, more than half of the services we provide are directly to people. So that's sports, culture, leisure, transit, homelessness, economic development. We, we target people. So the, the fiscal base of the city is like 150 years old. It's completely disconnected of the, the, our reality. So that's why the, our streets all over Canada look very bad, <laughs> because we have to neglect something to be able to take care of people. Every time I, we invest a penny in, in homelessness or, or, uh, or in culture, we take that penny from what's been called in the past, like the basic responsibilities of cities, so, so streets, sewers, etc. Et so if we don't, do not change the, 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 the reality, the fiscal reality of cities, they're doomed to neglect something. Uh, they're doomed to, 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 to do like Get Snow's doing. Just in Get Snow, we're the 18th largest city in Canada. We have 1.3 billion of catching up to do in infrastructure right. and counting. Even if we invest more than ever, we're still digging our own hole. So the, the, the changes to fiscality are, are, are urgent for cities. When we fight COVID, we take property tax. When, when we tackle a tornado or, or fight uh, uh, floodings, it's with property tax. And, and I don't think it makes a lot of sense because we're taking money away of, of other uh, services. So we have to find solutions. And, and the government are very slow to understand that, either at the provincial government or the federal government. Right. And if property taxes aren't enough or, you know, to get the job done or simply a, a limited pot of money to pull from, are you interested and in, are other you know, mayors in Quebec interested in sort of other revenue tools, uh, other fiscal tools to get the job done? Yes, we had we had a, a victory that we thought was not so small, but we changed our mind a little bit in the last years. We the Quebec government agreed we wanted one full point of the PST. Mm -hmm. So when PST goes up, the equivalent of one percent of what's being paid by by all citizens. So if the PST is at seven percent, one of those percentage is is goes directly to city. They said no to that, but they gave us the increase. Of one percent. So if if the one percent is worth a dollar and ten, we get this the, the ten. Okay. The, the ten cents, the increase. So they don't lose anything, but they just gain less, which was politically easier for them. So that's great because that, that's a small amount right now. But in ten years, that that increase going to mean, and and it's uh, it's money that comes back uh, recurring or. Money that comes back uh, every year, so it's it's good for us because we can plan this revenue. So that was a small step uh, forward at the provincial level, but the rest is just talks, and and they keep pouring new responsibilities to us without giving us the means to to, to apply them or to, to to finance them. So that there's a there's a huge fight to be led there, and all cities agreed because whether we're small or or big. We we're going through the same problems, right? Uh, that idea of uh, municipalities being handed more responsibilities—I I guess that's uh, what some people call downloading 
from the federal government or from the provincial government down to the cities, and it's now their responsibility, it's their financial burden. Uh, what kind of responsibilities have you seen in Quebec, uh, you know, land in the lap of uh, the mayor of Gatineau? The, the, the craziest decision they took as far as cities are concerned was taken like a year ago, where there are fights between the school boards and cities since decades on on who pays for the land under the new schools. For uh, for all ministers, it's it's a given. When you build a, a hospital, the government will pay for the piece of land and pay for the, the hospital itself. School Because the Quebec government doesn't pay for the land, the school boards were always trying to get the cities to give them land. And some cities would say yes, because they want the school, so they would give in. Well, they changed the law, and now we must give pieces of land when a new school comes to the city, which is bad news because it's it's millions of dollars for cities like Gatineau, where, where land downtown is extremely rare and extremely expensive. For Montreal, it's it's dozens and dozens of millions that this decision means for them. So we, we already manage a lot more of the public infrastructures that, that we should, and we don't have the finances to do that, but they added some more. So uh, they can't even pay for their own land. Uh, so the gain we made with the PST in Quebec was erased in Gatineau because of that decision, because we have in the next five years, five or six new schools that are, are gonna come in Gatineau, so we'll have to pay for that, for the terrain. It's, I think it shows how bad they do not understand city's fiscality because they say okay if, if a schools come you'll build new houses and you'll make money property tax doesn't pay for all the expenses we have since like 75 years so they should know that but for them new houses means gain and in the short term they're right so it's great we have more more property tax but as soon as we have to change the street or build a new library or build a cycle path it doesn't add up one one number that I really like to share with everybody I meet at the government is that we manage 58% of public infrastructures and we get 8% of taxes in general, uh, income tax, uh, PST, whatever, uh, transfers. So of everything people pay in taxes, we get 8%, but we manage 58% of, of public infrastructure. It, it's doesn't need a P, you don't need a PhD to understand that that's what bringing down the cities because there's not, not enough money to manage those infrastructures to pay for them. So that the situation of cities all just gets worse and we do not see much of understanding at the provincial or, or at the federal government of how bad things are at the city level because we can we can shovel forward. We can we can push those decisions back uh, again and again, but it's going to hit us hard soon. Actually, I think we're already in the wall, just from an infrastructure point of view. So to your mind, w what needs to change? Is it more money for cities? Is it uh, the ability for cities to raise their own money beyond just property tax? Or is it just to stop the downloading or a mix of all three? It's It's a mix of all three. But the first thing is to really recognize us as a government. Mm -hmm. We are a local government. So a local government cannot function with, with uh, a property tax. We need like a real 
fiscal reality based on the fact that we're a government. We help people. So, so I think that's the first recognition. And if you recognize that, well, maybe we should have one our share of income tax. Like right now, it's income tax. It's it's like fifty five in Quebec. It's fifty five to the federal government, forty five to the Quebec government. Maybe it should be like fifty, uh, forty, and ten. Right. We have to think that way. Like bring a, a real solution that tackles the problem for real not not just throw us some money to make us to help us during a time of crisis which they did in the covid and they did very well especially the actually both government uh, that was great but in the next crisis again we'll be knocking at the door saying hey we're in trouble because property tax doesn't help us that it doesn't allow us to to fight crisis like 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 this one or or to face catastrophes like like flooding so it can't just help us when we have a problem. We have to solve the the deep fiscal problem that, that we have. For some people, the solution is getting local governments recognized uh, at a charter level. Uh, because, you know, for listeners in the charter, municipalities are just creatures of the province, they're called. And uh, they don't really have any um, enshrined power in that way. So is that a solution to your mind? Or is it more about just building relationships? Oh, it, it has to go through the constitution at one point. We we have to, because it's hard to explain in a second language. I'll try to, like, in because we are creatures of the, of the provinces, everything we do must be in the law. Mm-hmm. We cannot do something that is not in the law. For provinces, it's different. They say that the constitution says, okay, you're in charge of healthcare. So they, they do it however they want to do it because it's their field. We do not have like a field of competence, a field of where we can act as we want to act. If I want to publicize the next city council, there are rules that I have to follow coming from Quebec City. It it just makes absolutely no sense. So the municipal uh, laws are extremely complex, extremely heavy. And, And if we go to the constitution, we change it and we give like, real special powers in some areas for cities, we, we, de- we, we solve that problem. So city council make this, it makes decisions and has to live with them. Like I have a, an auditor general, I have the media watching me, I have citizen watching me, we have transparency. So I don't need, above all that, the provincial government, government watching over my shoulder and correcting everything I do, which is the case right now. So the a change to the constitution or like a special charter for cities. We have to, to look towards solutions like that because they're not, they're not like a plaster bandaid on, on an emoji. It's, it's like a real solution. Uh, so fiscality, a change to the constitution. I think we're, we're there. Like we, we need that actually as soon as possible, because if not, we're just going to be a, like a formula one with no gas, like we're, 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 we can innovate, we're good, we're, we're on the ground, we know our people, but we fight with, with like a hand tied in our back. We have, we have to change that. Well, uh, Mr. Mayor, I want to thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me today. Thank you very much. For Burlington, Ontario Mayor Marianne Mead-Ward, 
the ability to spend money on local priorities is essential, and it's often frustrating to have to go through the province to do it. Special revenue tools for cities is part of the solution, and that may have to come through a city charter. Mayor Mead Ward, you've said uh, to the Canadian Urban Institute, the arrangement that municipalities have within the Federation isn't working. And I I was hoping to begin by just unpacking that a little bit. (laughs) So we've discovered, especially through the pandemic, but the issues have been chronic even before that, that municipalities are on the front lines of serving our community. And that is never more true than in an emergency. But we don't have the tools. We don't have the authority, we don't have the funding, we don't have the tools. And so we go cap in hand to uh, provincial and federal levels of government. It slows down our ability to react and respond, and it really slows down and compromises our ability to look after our residents. Right. Uh, the, the context of that quote was specifically, uh, you, you had a bit of a headache trying to impose a mask regulations at a local level, and you, you eventually found a workaround where I think you, you made it contingent upon uh, business licenses? Absolutely. That, that is a great example. It's one of many where uh, even things like restaurant capacity. So we had been lobbying for months for the province to treat restaurants the way that they did other large stores and have capacity be based on square footage and ability to social distance. So IE basing restrictions on health indicators and science. And for some odd reason, it was just an arbitrary cap. So if you had a massive restaurant, you still were only allowed 10 people inside. We couldn't change that. We had to, you know, lobby for months with, with the mask bylaw, the same thing. Our residents were asking for months. And I would say in many respects, our community is ahead of government. And and I would include municipal government in there. Uh, they started asking for a mask bylaw for quarantine and travel restrictions well before any government saw fit to to get on it. And because municipalities are the closest level of government to the people, we hear it every day. I can't walk out my front door without meeting somebody who has uh, some idea for me to consider. And uh, because of that, we're in a position to know the needs of our, of our community, but we can't act quickly enough because we don't have the powers. So, so all of what we have seen as measures that only other levels of government had the ability to enact, which eventually belatedly came to us, in some cases too late or later than need be and damage had been done along the way. Mm-hmm. If municipalities had were treated as their own level of government, had additional powers, and not just during an emergency, but, but at all times, we can respond to local conditions and act much more quickly. And, you know, who knows, maybe we wouldn't still be in a pandemic a year later. Right. Uh, in terms of fiscal autonomy for, for local governments, uh, in, in the happier days of uh, early 2019, uh, the, there were still a uh, fair share of headaches, and you were facing a situation where uh, the the Premier uh, Doug Ford's government uh, was kind of threatening um, massive cuts to a lot of municipal governments in Ontario, when uh, m- many of those governments had already sort of created their budget for that year, if if I understand correctly. And that sort of caused you and, and a lot of big city mayors in Ontario to say that they wanted a seat at the table. They wanted a little more power about where the funds are coming from and discretion on where to spend them. Uh, and maybe even to uh, be able to levy a little bit more revenue for themselves uh, beyond just uh, property tax municipally. Yeah, so the... Um uh, the issue with funding was really ironic. You have governments that run massive deficits and 
have accumulated huge debt telling the one level of government that is, is able to do neither, that balances our budget every single year, how to run finance, municipal <laughs> <laughs> finance. And so, you know, our response back uh, to the governments was, first of all, get your own house in order. But, but more importantly, under arrangements with the province, we are required to deliver provincial pro- uh, programs uh, at the regional level, at the social service level, or single tier do that uh, on their own. And so our agreement with the province, when they say you must run these programs on our behalf, the province commits to certain funding available for those programs that we're delivering on their behalf. What we have seen over decades, and it was really highlighted in the situation that you saw where the government was trying to cut their commitments, is that the funding that the province has committed to giving us to run their programs has eroded steadily over decades to the point at Halton Region, we subsidize the province already to the tune of roughly $16 million a year. And if we had to, you know, tax for that, that's about, a, you know, a 10% tax increase. That's the value of what we contribute because the province isn't paying their share for the programs that we deliver on their behalf. So, so then when they were coming in on the side to say, oh, by the way, we're going to cut even further the money that we give you, that's why you saw the outcry. They're not, they're not paying their full share already. And so this has led to the larger conversation of, you know, if we're running the programs anyway, then, um, you know, let's let's have a way to have predictable, sustainable funding from the tax base. So various ideas have been floated around municipalities getting a share of income tax, municipalities getting a share of HST, for example, for those programs that we deliver so that we don't have to go cap in hand, fill out forms to get the money that our taxpayers send to those levels of government to get that money back. And in, in terms of uh, Burlington, uh, are you hearing from people, what, what would they like to see? Are they talking about charter cities? Are they talking about revenue tools, that kind of thing? Uh, what, what do the citizens prefer? The biggest issue on the minds of people in Burlington is development and the fact that elected councils and our planning staff and the wishes of residents are overruled by an unelected single adjudicator appointed by the province which is also known as the Local Planning Appeal Tribunal. Mm -hmm. And so there are uh, moves across the province that have really started with the previous government and led to some changes to what was then called the OMB and then became the LPAD, and then the current government rolled back those changes. There are There is a move now afoot to restart those discussions to get rid of the LPAT. The other way to do it is through the Charter Cities movement, which would be an agreement where cities and the province agree with with those decisions that the city wishes to take on themselves. And certainly being the masters of our own house around community planning would be one of those in Burlington, probably the biggest one that we would want to have final authority of those decisions and uh, and and leave the LPAT for them that want it. So uh, ideally, we'd kick it to the curb for the whole province. Uh, but uh, we're happy to just get out from under the yoke ourselves through a, through a charter cities arrangement. So that would be the first thing that we would try to negotiate under a charter cities for our city. Mm-hmm. And in terms of finance, uh, what would more financial autonomy mean for the city of Burlington? So ideally, municipalities and and, and for us 
in Burlington and Ontario, but also across the country, would be a predictable revenue stream or or really a share of the money that the federal and provincial governments collect. Right now, we spend across the country enormous amounts of time and red tape in application-based funding requests. We have a whole line of business in the city, devoted staff, devoted to watching for funding stream announcements, looking at criteria, looking at projects that we want to achieve, writing out the applications, and then sitting and waiting with bated breath to see if ours is going to get make the cut. And if it is, whether we're going to get the full amount of funding or whether whether we won't. That process takes months and months and months and enormous time. And it's really a waste of resources when you multiply that across an entire country doing this, mm-hmm. uh, but certainly in the province doing this. And so... Certainly, uh, if we could here in Burlington, but I think other cities would want this as well to say, look, municipalities get X share of what the governments already collect that you already kind of give us. But through this really wonky process called, you know, an application based revenue stream source. And we're happy to share the photo op with you mm-hmm. when the time comes. We're happy to share the credit. Uh, we're credit to do, but don't make us go through the gymnastics of it because it's not predictable. It's not long-term or sustainable. It, it forces all of us to look at our cities and our funding a year at a time when most of the things that we are building are decades. The impacts are felt by generation. And so it is not a, it's not how any business would do it. And it's, it's time for municipalities and our funding partners to change it and see another way to, to uh, partner with each other. In terms of, uh, you know, the, the power of cities to use different revenue streams uh, beyond just uh, the, the property tax that they rely on, you know, in, in Toronto, we have the City of Toronto Act, where we are legally allowed to do a, a lot of those things, to find uh, different revenue streams. Uh, the problem is, Sometimes they're politically unpalatable. So I wonder if you have opinions of if, if cities like Burlington had the ability to use different revenue tools, um, would that be politically palatable? Could, could you sell it to the population and uh, w- would they see the benefit of it? I think people only see the benefit of a new tax when they know what it's going for and they support that. Mm-hmm. So we in the city, for example, uh, created, we use the property tax tool, but we created a special infrastructure levy to close our infrastructure uh, deficit and gap. So our funding requirements to repair and replace aging infrastructure was not adequate and we were falling behind every year. And so during my time as a council member, we said we need to address this and this is what it's going to take. So over and above the regular property tax increases, we created an infrastructure levy there was huge support in the community for that because they knew exactly what it was going to go for. It was going to fix the pothole outside their house. It was going to repair the community center that they use every day. It was going to upgrade the park where their kids learn to play soccer. So, so there was no political consequence to that. And in fact, it was the right thing uh, to do. And it was a 20 year plan. And that's how municipalities should be looking at for all of our investments in our community. We've also actually, just before the pandemic, and this was put on hold for reasons that will become clear, Mm -hmm. we talked to our uh, tourism industry and hotel uh, sector, and they actually supported the notion of a destination tax. 
and council approved it. And it ultimately would be something that people that come to our hotels would be paying and the hotel supported that. So where you have an industry specific situation like that, or you have support from the community saying, we we need more revenue and ultimately the economic benefits uh, pay off. And, and they did uh, the modeling, they, they had the rationale, they had the support, they'd done their homework and showed the council that the benefits of this tax, which they supported, outweighed the immediate cost of the additional cost for the room. Again, there was no there was no blowback in the community for that. And we did prove that that would be something for our staff to bring back by way of VALA and then the pandemic hit and our hotels are closed. Right. So we'll, we'll come back to that conversation when the economy is going again. But, but what was uh, compelling about that, the, the research supported it and the community, in this case, the hoteliers, the hotel industry supported it. And so if, if any municipality is going to consider revenue tools, you need to make the case to the community about about why this particular tool, what's the benefit going to be, and what am I going to get out of it as uh, as a resident? And when you can when you can tee all of that up and make that case, then it becomes a political no-brainer to implement it. Uh, if you don't know what you're trying to achieve, if it looks like to the community just a tax grab and it goes into quote the dreaded general fund, mm-hmm. you know, uh, I I couldn't sell that either. <laughs> you know, I I don't know anybody really who could, and and rightly so. The public have a right to uh, accountability for where their dollars are going, and we need to justify a reason to collect funds uh, and what we're going to be putting what you said that we're going to put them to. And there's a lot of ways to achieve greater local autonomy and, and fiscal autonomy for cities. A lot of them depend on relationships. They depend on good working relationships with the higher levels of government. And those governments change sometimes every four years. It's kind of up in the air. So that being said, I know you've been looking into the idea of a, a city charter, uh, having local powers sort of enshrined in in the federal act, in the constitution. Do you think that that is the way that uh, cities need to go in, in order to sort of maintain their uh, authority over their own over their own territory? That is the best tool that I know of. I'm, I'm open to any tool, mm-hmm. honestly, but as I've looked into this particular one, I, I can remember as a counselor talking about, talking with envy about the city of Toronto act saying we need a city of Burlington act mm-hmm. the province. So, you know, if, if they would grant us that, that's the same, it's exact same idea. Uh, effectively the city of Toronto act is a charter that the city has with the province that uh, both parties have agreed that the province will devolve some of their decision-making powers to a municipality. And that is the essence of what the Charter Cities is. What what I like about it, as I've uh, dug very deeply into it, is that it does not require a constitutional amendment. That mm-hmm. was one of the concerns about it. And And all it requires is a willing province, a willing city, and once they have a deal that they can live with, the federal government can simply, by majority vote in the legislature, approve it. It, it does not require uh, reopening the Constitution, which would be, I think, for some, a bridge uh, too far. I'm up for that challenge if it took that, but it doesn't. It, it doesn't. And it's a straightforward path. The challenge, of course, is working out those details and and convincing a province to give up some of their power and potentially some of their revenue. Right. But I think what we have seen through the pandemic 
is, you know, why would you need the province to control certain areas? The, the rationale would be because you want consistency across the province. And that made a whole lot of sense pre-pandemic. What we're now seeing is that local conditions become so much more important. And I, that's not going to change post-pandemic. I think what we have learned is the need for local decision-making authority to reflect the specific circumstances of each community. And there will be a growing chorus of residents that will say we need to respect our local conditions here. So I think the conditions are right now for having that conversation. And and I'll tell you one example of what we used to have to go cap in hand to the province when we wanted to change our speed limits in neighborhoods. Mm-hmm. Think of a, you know, a regular subdivision. It had a 50 kilometer an hour speed limit the same as a major road throughout your city. Mm-hmm. It made no sense to anybody. And uh, I can remember one of the things that actually propelled me into politics was that very issue <laughs> in my neighborhood right. and talking to our staff and saying, why don't we just post 40 or 30? Why can't we just drop the speed limit? And there was something called the Ontario traffic manual. And it was like this Bible and nobody could vary from it because there was this notion that there had to be quote unquote consistency across the province That was subsequently changed, but for the longest time, in order to change a speed limit, think about that. Think about the red tape and delays. The municipality had to get the approval of the province. Right. So increasingly, as we bump up against these issues and we bumped up against a lot of them, you mentioned, you know, the mask bylaw, uh, business requirements during a pandemic or after a pandemic. Those really should be local decisions based on local conditions. One size does not fit all. And we've discovered that. And that's the beauty of being able to have a charter, you know, that that cities would negotiate with the province what they what they wish to take on mm-hmm. and what they don't. And and some municipalities are happy to let the province make those decisions. They either they're smaller municipalities or they they simply don't want to bother with that particular uh, issue. So, so each municipality will have its own needs and its own desires for what they would like to have in a charter, and and so it's a uh, in my mind it's probably the best tool we have available to have this conversation. Currently. The City of Toronto is waiting for a Supreme Court decision on its challenge to changes the provincial government made to City Council in the middle of the last election. These changes took the city by surprise. There was no consultation, no leave asked for or given. It was a provincial power move that completely undermined a local government and just served to highlight the fact that Canadian cities really have no power on their own. If greater financial autonomy and more equitable cost-sharing between levels of government depends on building good relationships, as Brian Kelsey says, that goes double for creating legislation to grant cities more autonomy. Without respect for cities, forging those relationships may be impossible. But there's reason to believe that mutual respect and shared power might ultimately benefit every level of government. Here's Brian Kelsey again. I do believe enough of a reset to make 
cities effectively self-sustaining would be positive. And part of the case I made to provincial officials for, for changing those relationships is several times in mayor's cabinet meetings, I sat and watched as councillors rejected a proposal or a project or, or, or something that would have been good for the local economy because their attitude was, well, the, federal, or the, the provincial government and the federal government will make money off this thing because of sales tax revenue. But we get no local benefit in terms of property taxes, so why should we be spending anything to make this make this better? And why wouldn't you want to alter the revenue mix to create better incentives for uh, local leaders to, to look at the economy with, with a more diverse lens uh, in, in all of the, the ways that I could uh, mean that phrase? So there could be five or six different kinds of reset, but one that better matches responsibility with cost, with revenues and outcomes would be better for everybody. Is Canada ready to change for the better? Is the goal of truly empowered Canadian cities really in sight? I guess we'll have to see. Until next time, I'm Glenn Bowerman. Thank you to our guests, Brian Kelsey and Mayors Maxime Pénaud-Jobin and Marianne Mead-Ward. I make this podcast with Neil Hinchley, who composes our music. City Insight is made in partnership with Spacing Magazine and Massey College. Executive producers are Alan Kaspersky and Matthew Blackett. Creative consultant is Darren Chapp. This podcast was made possible by Massey College, the Maytree Foundation, and the Government of Canada's Social Sciences and Humanities Research Council. For more on our constitutional city crisis, the Massey City Summit will take place April 6th, 7th, and 8th, 2021. Check out MasseyCitySummit.ca for updates about speakers and registration.